It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy, and we are in Murty Rabbit's Bar. The only place we should do our end-of-season chat, I think. I have a crew of people around me who have contributed to this year's podcast in great detail, and I'm going to introduce them all very quickly with hellos. Hello, Dave Finn. Good evening, all. Hello, Lindy McKenzie. Evening, Rob. Hello, Niall Shield. Good evening, Rob. Hello, William Davis. Good evening, Rob. I seem to be getting lower, so let's go back up a little bit here. Hello, Alan Deegan. Hi, Rob. Good to have you along. Okay, so start with you, Alan. You're on co-commentary alongside William Davis and Ravenhill. And where are we after all that drama? We sit here, no semi-final to look forward to, but an outlook that seems to be overall optimistic based on the way the team performed this season. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to look at it and I'll do my normal thing. I'll go straight into stats. 15 wins over the season, second best we've ever done. Seven home wins, second best we've ever had in, in wins. 13 bonus point, joint best we've ever had. So, yeah, successful season. William, how much did the Ravenhill performance and game change your overview, if anything at all, of the season? Uh, I thought it was a slightly disappointing end to the season because they didn't ask enough questions when they had the chance. They got to within a point twice in that game and I thought they had Ulster on the run a bit and they just didn't quite seem to know what to do then. And they also lost their other knockout game against Sale. Knockout rugby is something that Connacht have a tendency to struggle with, something they'll have to work on for next season. So it was a slightly deflating end, but they did play well enough in that game and they played very well at the the business end of the season. When they had to get wins, they got them. And if they can build on that for next season, then that, that, that would be the hope. But it was a slightly flat sort of end in terms of they could be in a semi-final. When you go to a semi-final, anything can happen. Um, and we'll see, see how Ulster get on against Glasgow on Friday night. Alan, yeah, just did, did you learn anything more from that game? What did you learn from, from the Ravenhill performance? Well, I think if, if that game had been played in the sports ground, we would have won. Right. I think the, the, the momentum of having a home game would have given us enough in that. I thought we did survive an awful lot of the, of the game but then we put ourselves in the position to win the game and I think if Bundyaki had been on the field because that rolling mall when, when we started the line out we had a rolling mall about 12 minutes to go, 13 minutes to go we marched down 10 metres down the field I thought right this is it, we're going to earn a penalty or we're going to do something here to win the game and unfortunately we didn't, we turned the ball over and Kotsia then did his job and, and got them through it but we came really really close which when you consider this was Andy Friend's first season uh, we've never had a winning season, a coach win his first season apart from the very early, you know, Stefan era when we didn't play that many games anyway. But, you know, when the Celtic League became a 2022 20, uh, team league, we've never had a winning season like we've had in this. And I think we're, we're pretty close to being a, a very good side. Lindley, just, you know, you were part of our podcast up there. And I just want to kind of, before we move on to our full season review, just, just look a little bit more at that match. Have you any kind of lingering thoughts on it and maybe a feeling perhaps that Connick left something behind there, or did they? I think they'll think they left something behind, certainly. Yeah. But I also think that it's, it's, I think it really comes down to a psychological edge and the mental edge. I think Dan McFarlane kind of said afterwards that you know his Ulster side are more experienced and they're more experienced in playing knockout matches. And every time they go into a knockout match, they're learning more how to play them and how to win. You know, it is, it is, you know, Connick don't have that, that same experience that Ulster have. I think some of the players just didn't really perform as well as they should have on the day. And I think their knockout performance was the previous week. It's funny, William, because we were saying beforehand 
and just to bookend this shout about the match Connick brought up you know seven or eight Pro 12 medals into that game Ulster didn't have any bar Rory Best as far as I can calculate yet when you when you look at it, it was a lesson in... It didn't, you don't get any sense that that championship-winning side has left a legacy for these games. It does feel like a new team learning again. Yeah, Connacht haven't built on that. Um, the immediate season afterwards was Pat Lamb leaving. Then there were the difficulties last season when Kieran Kane was there. So they didn't build on that win. But sometimes sides just win something out of the blue and they don't quite know how to build the legacy. And you don't get much time. I mean, you, you start again, the next season is the referee blows the whistle in the first game, and it's, it's, that's almost history. Mm. It's forgotten about. Um, it, it's interesting what then he says there. We, we, yeah, I mean, knockout games, Champions Cup rugby probably teaches you, and hopefully they learn from that next year. Ulster have continued to play at that level. Connacht maybe just don't have enough experience in these really big games. They also started very slowly, and that's been a problem through the season. It's another thing they they, they know they have to address. You're that. specifying in particular in Ravenhill they started. Yeah, I thought they started very slowly. The first 20 minutes, they were a bit nervous, and that's the sort of stuff you you just it's small margins. Yeah, ten points early on, ultimately told. Yeah, especially when you consider that they were 14 points up in both the wins over Ulster earlier in the season, and they turned the pressure and put it on Ulster, but Ulster never quite got squeezed small margins alright so on that and I start with you Dave you know Dan McFernan talked about experience but it does feel like you know the Ulster jersey alone gives these guys that sense of superiority I don't want to say it in a kind of a negative tone about what they're talking about but it gives them an extra little leg up and it seemed to tell in the game to be fair you're getting a leg up from a crowd that will drag you by the ears and lift you 10 feet up in the air we can't underestimate how and I think Alan nailed it I think if that game's played in the sports ground our crowd does that Um, there were things that happened in that game I think think one of the things I've said it for a few years now and I think it's, it's still held true is that we have to work so hard for scores we have to work really hard. I mean, we were gifted a try, which is very unusual against, uh, against the team away from home um, when Ulster get through an interception. But then we promptly went and made an absolute hames of a clearance from our 22, which ultimately leads to Marcel Garcia's try. Our, in certain, sometimes I think we need to have something really seriously riding on the game. Because when we played Cardiff, there was an awful lot. This was, this was make or break and we performed well. We seem to also not do particularly well when it comes to free hits. In, within games, like we never seem to score from a free play when we have a penalty advantage. And when games are, you can, it, you're not expected to win or you, there's not as much riding for us as is on the other team, we seem to do badly in those games. But one thing that Andy Friend did do, when really push came to shove in games that we had to win to progress the season, especially at home, when we really needed it, we stepped up. We now have to do that consistently and especially away from home. The season, are you counting this as positively as I was you know, saying at the start? It does feel like you can't possibly say anything other than this was a successful season when we get to Champions Cup. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Andy Friend is in... Champions Cup rugby in his second season so his first season here he's learning a squad learning about a squad but they've already gotten there like Pat Lamb lost out on his first two seasons wasn't it Champions Cup or first two seasons so like I feel that Andy Friend is a year ahead of schedule that's okay. the way I, that's the way I look at it personally that he's there now for next season already in the Champions Cup I'd say he he has the bones, he's more than the bones of, of, a, of a squad there now. And, um, you know, I'd say, he, you know, coming into his third season, 
like like Diego's been talking about, in fairness, coming into his third season, that's the thing we need to see the real benefit of it. But just cup if it's if there's incremental increases in you know results and performances, I think Connacht are going to be fine. So the like the actual finish, it was a bonus game in Ulster. So so you know I get the feeling you wouldn't have a huge amount of lingering disappointment over the the playoff exit. No, I was you know I was disappointed with the performance. And was, Were you overall? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't like, we didn't fire a shot, and yet with what three was it three four? I can't remember how many minutes to go. Seven minutes to go was it? We're a point down. Yeah. Do you know? I think. Um, there's something now, and your friend mentioned it afterwards. Where you know, I think the squad have been missing a couple of things, a couple of key kind of personnel all season. And if they were there, notwithstanding, and if you had all of Ulster's guys back, I think uh, Connacht could have turned them over up there. But um, yeah, the performance was a little bit disappointing, and it's something they've talked about addressing. So I suppose I just leave it at that. That that's what yeah. you know they're going to do. They've said it, but I won't say I felt like it was a. If, Maybe like a free shot. Maybe it was like a free shot, Dave. But I just felt that they jo- the job was done, and I felt like we we're, were almost in bonus territory, like yeah. you're saying. But at the same time, I don't want it to sound like that. No, but I, but I just I felt like Ulster's Ulster's season was going to be defined by whether they reached the semi final, whereas Connacht had already been defined. Well, yeah, that's it. Well, if you were saying the goals, their goals were, I suppose, Andy Friend said it to win silverware. Said uh, mm. you know he said at one stage. Uh, there's only 14 more games left in the season if we win every game and that means winning the final and the final of the Challenge Cup um, so I suppose they probably want, they wanted to win that they wanted to win the Pro 14 and I suppose third on the list is they wanted to qualify for Europe but that comes first when you're moving along in your path to the season so I just think that was the most important thing I think it all comes back to what's relative the past two seasons Connacht had 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 absolutely no success whatsoever. They didn't they didn't build on on the Pro 12 as it was then. Win. They actually went straight downhill as a result, really, of of Pat Lam announcing his departure. They didn't get any better the following season because of a coach who didn't like the way that they played their rugby, which had been a prescribed form under Pat Lamb and he wanted to change it mm. unfortunately he didn't really he only looked at the way they played rather than holistically the whole squad as as, as as people and I think that was his biggest failing there so I think they were starting from scratch again this season and from starting from scratch this season it was successful yes context is everything and overall Andy Friend appears to have landed on his feet here you know, maybe a number of things have worked for him, but his first season has gone so, so much better than people could possibly imagine. Think of the chaos that was at the end of last season in terms of a coaching change, and look at us now. Yeah, well, I think that's the context we're talking about, isn't it? Anti-friend has come in. He's a totally different personality. Think about his personality and think of where he's come from. He is he's a well-travelled man. Mm. He has coached in Japan, in England, in Australia, and now Ireland. He has coached at various different levels. He is a man who has lived his life and has and has gone through traumas of his own with his family. That makes a person and, and a coach who is looking after younger, younger people and players immediately more empathetic, perhaps, and more understanding of, of how to maybe get the best out of them. And I think his, his most... His success this season is yes he has achieved Champions Cup rugby but I think the most crucial thing is is that he has developed the culture within Connacht 
whereby they believe in each other, they have a voice, they protect each other, they chat to each other, and I think he's very keen on that, even on the field. He wants to see players talking to each other, patting them on the back, and I think we saw that actually in Ulster. Um, I think it was Stephen Fitzgerald running up and, and congratulating someone for a tackle. And I think that's what he has tried to develop in the squad. And that, obviously, he's imbued the squad with a confidence, which hasn't actually reached its best levels yet. But I think that's the, the biggest change that he has made. All right, that's our first topic. And Lindley was uh, kind enough to just kind of take that from the start. William, just you've back and forth with him in press conferences throughout the season. I remember uh, being in Athlone on a sunny day in August and... You had already chatted to him a couple of times yourself and Alan had been at some of the early season events. You were feeling positive about the vibe. I was immediately struck by the vibe around the team and that seemed to carry forward. Any surprise in how, how the season has gone from your perspective in terms of looking at through the prism of how Andy Friend has done? Well, when he came, he said that he was going to give everybody a chance. Now, a lot, every coach says that. It's almost the st- starting line they give you. But he actually made that happen. He made a deliberate policy of inclusiveness with players. And they all, I think, no, some of them might feel that they didn't quite get as much of a chance as they got. You, you can't pick everybody in every game. But he spread that around. And by doing that, I think he got the culture moving forward. He's never discussed what he found when he arrived. But he has alluded to the fact that the culture has improved so therefore it mustn't have been exactly where he wanted it to be and that's not surprising because last season was quite tra- traumatic for everybody but he's taken it and he's run with it and that's that's been the key and he's empowered people most much overused word but the other coaches have also been able to get on and coach and there is a system there where uh, you know, people know their roles. I think they understand their roles really well, and I think there's also a feeling that the communication is: if you if you have an issue with your role or what's expected of you, you can actually go and find out. Yeah, no, I agree. I was uh, talking to one of the department players, just give an, an insight to a little bit about Andy Friend at the beginning of the season, and um, he was injured and he couldn't go to. They went to France. They went to I can't remember where in France that early preseason tournament. Pardon? It was near. It was near brief. It was, it was uh, near brief. Um, and uh, but this player, particular player, couldn't go. And he said that Andy Friend set up um, a WhatsApp group between himself and these few players that were injured, mm. and was texting them, telling them how things were going, asking how they were. Nice. And the one thing he said was, "I've, I've never had a coach ever do anything like that for me." And I met another uh, player that was there halfway through the season. Happens to be a departing player as well. And uh, he just said, we were just chatting, and he just said, ah, oh, friendly's great. Right. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was amazing. Real respect, um, but like just, uh, as, you know, it's like your manager at work. If your manager at work has got your back, you'll do an, you'll do an awful lot more for them. It, just, uh, it was an insight into him, and I thought it was, I'd no, I, I hadn't heard anything like that about anybody for a long time. I think it's, it shows the quality of him. I was struck, Dave, by Caelan Blade's response in the press conference uh, after the Cardiff game when someone asked him what Andy Friend has done. And it was like someone had just kind of opened an emotional valve for a few seconds because he really, really did speak, you know, passionately about how, how I'm going to use William's word, how empowered he was, but I am paraphrasing. But that, that was the, the vibe he was given, that Friend believed in him and it, it meant a lot. 
I think if you go back to what Lindy said about how Kieran King came here and he, he wasn't impressed with how the, the players were playing. And he almost as if he felt it was their fault. With Andy Friend, he may not have been impressed with how the players were playing, but he made it like, well, that's my fault. And the only people who can make that better, it has to be seen, again, as Lindy said, the holistic approach. It's not just the players who have to improve, it's the coaches that have to improve, but they have to own their improvement. And if they improve, they should be, they should be told, you have improved because you own that improvement. And a subtle difference between, I think William would, and Lindy would experience this more than I would, a subtle difference. You felt last year, if Peter Wilkins or Nigel Carolyn was put before the press, it was because Kieran Kane didn't want to do the press work. Whereas I feel this year it's because Andy Friend has gone, you own this as well, lads. You are all part of this. We're all part singing from the same image. Sheet. And it doesn't matter. It is you own the bit that you personally do, but we all own all of it. So I can go forward, but you can go forward in my place, not because I don't want to, because you can say exactly what I want to say, irrespective of who you are and what your exact position is. Brilliant point. Alan, I'll, I'll finish the Andy French chat. And obviously we couch this in the fact that we all know Andy's one part of a huge management team. But like any situation, he is the new guy who came in to replace Kieran Keane. I wanted to spend a bit of time on it. He's, he's used 50 players, Alan. Isn't that right? And at the end. So I'm looking at it here. Dan, Danny's done up some stats. 13 players made their conic debut this season. And you can add in one more. 14 players had more appearances this season than last year, or at least equaled it uh, in one case there. So you really get the feeling that, like William said, Pard looked at everyone... And he's, you can nearly say for the players I mentioned there, about 27 or so players, they've all furthered their career a little bit. Without doubt. And I think part of it is that he looked at his coaching staff and realised he had three really, really good coaches who knew what they wanted to do and knew what they were about and then allowed him to go into man management and then go in and look after all the players. Um, you know, and, and he was able to pick out... He was, able, he was given a, a leadership group. They figured themselves out, and then he, he was able to go in and, and more or less know every player. If he didn't know them, he had there was a line of um, there's a line of, of command that sort of got the information down to them from him. So as you say, you then you you end up with that. He also got results early on, which is really important. Three of six in that horrible start. Exactly. Whereas and Kieran, bonus points as well. Kieran Kane had one out of six. Yeah. And there you go, straight away. And that was a horrible start. You know, we looked at that. We all we talked about at the start of the season was how were we going to win any games? Looking at the first six games of the season, and we won half of them. So you know, and we were up and running. And look what happened after that. The players uh, to finish this section. The players who made their debuts this season uh, from the academy: Connor Fitzgerald, Stephen Kearns, Colm de Butler, Matthew Burke, Connor Dean, and Kieran Joyce. They're all academy. Also making their debuts: Kyle Godwin, David Horowitz, Robin Copeland, Colby Fienga, Tom Daly, Ingus Lloyd, and Stephen Fitzgerald. Joe Maxim of course as well and the players who just for the sake of going through the stats who had more appearances this year than last year Daryl Eder went from 15 to 18 Keen Keller 18 to 22 Caelan Blade Dennis Buckley Dave Heffernan Shane Delahunt Robertson McCoy uh, Peter McCabe uh, James Cannon Gavin Thornbury Sean O'Brien Jared Butler and uh, uh, Paul Boyle all of them uh, increased their appearances in Boyle's case from 1 to 22 it's been some season and that's going to move us on to topic two, Niall. You've had this one. I want to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on the progress in terms of player development. I mean, the, given the stats there, it seems to be pretty phenomenal. Bringing players through the academy, maybe a little bit too, to, to you, maybe some of the guys you might see coming forward, but you've watched a bit of the Eagles this year. You've seen these guys progress. It's been great, hasn't it? No, very good, very good. I like the fact that they use them. At least um, 
you know, the players and the Eagles and all that, they can see that there's a pathway there. You know, you, I suppose you're often told it, but if you see that it's definitely there and that the head coach is going to give you that, that uh, opportunity, well, then you're going to do your best to take yeah. it. Um, yeah, the, the Eagles next year, there's going to be more games again. It seems like there's going to be nine as opposed to the six we've had. All right, so with review towards the Eagles, I think one thing that maybe a lot of our listeners don't know, it's worth pointing out, the season doesn't start until the last weekend in September next year in terms of the Pro 14. And one thing that's going to happen, because you and I, Niall, to begin with, and I'll bring in the lads a, a, a little bit in a second, is we're talking about next season, we're talking about bringing players through. We've heard the list of players who made their debut, right. five of them coming from the academy. Who's next? And, and one thing the listeners must realise is it looks like the Eagles could be starting in August. So Connacht fans will get a great chance to watch these games in the nice weather at the start of the season with no Pro 14 action. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the Eagles is a vital tool for player development. So but there will be a number. I believe there's going to be more games in the coming season than there was in the season just past. Um, and you see them using some of the first team squad and using those games as warm ups as well. Oh, absolutely! Because yeah. you're going to have a guy that you, you're going to have a few guys that are going to get injured mm. um, in early preseason, and then they'll want to give them some game time and mm. stuff like that. There'll be guys that they'll be integrating into the squad. Some of the new signings that'll come in, for instance, and I'd say they'll they'll want to throw them in because they'll while they don't, you know. They don't play per prescription, prescribed rugby. There'll be uh, certain game plans, there'll be certain things they'll want them to do, and um, these will all be work-ons um, that they have for them. So, I would say you'll see a few, you'll see a few established guys there. You'll see a few guys getting rest, uh, and you know you'll see a lot of the younger guys then coming up and uh, joining that squad. So you'll have sub academy and academy. Anyone to look out for? Some of the guys maybe who got a little bit of a look in this year might be involved. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, all those guys this year f- um, f- for next season, um, it's quite highly likely that Connor Dean and Luke Carty are going to be very, very important for the Eagles and very important for Connacht, uh, the senior squad, full stop. Um, I would say uh, Niall Murray, uh, second row with the Irish under-20s now, um, being that he says injury-free, uh, I think he's, he'll be fine. He's an, a, a supreme athlete. Um, who else now? There's, um, there's going to be important years for other players then. Sean O'Brien, it's going to be a very important year for him um, Connacht's uh, three quarters are they have a number of them so uh, but uh, I would consider most of them to be in the 12 mould he's an outside yeah. centre um, he had a great trip to the States he was very good over there impressed highly, highly over there I know um, I think it could be a good one, a big one for him as well um, and there's there's many other players Colin de Butler he got a couple of games there on the season got injured um, these, you know, the, the likes of him is going to get, you know, they're going to get game time in their in where they want to play in their positions. So, Dave, you watch a lot of the under twenties and the guys coming through. You echo some of uh, Niall's thoughts there. These Eagles games could be really interesting to follow. I think Niall has more or less named everybody you would immediately think of. There's a couple more, and I think one of the players we I'm surprised that given how much we did go into the Eagles guy squad for, for players guy I thought might get a chance and I would be very surprised if he doesn't get a chance next season and suddenly we'll play a lot more Eagles games as Hugh Lane uh, superb finisher uh, very impressed um, not always behind the pack that was going forward but really knows how to finish I think the player that I still can't believe is still eligible for under 20 is Dylan Tierney Martin because he played for the Eagles two years ago wow. at a flag what a, what a, a season he had yeah. uh, Midley he does he, he's, he's been immense he's finally nailed down he's, he's, he's no longer playing as a flanker he's going to play as a hooker that's perfect I mean he is unlucky in the sense that we have a lot of very good hookers but he's someone who I think can make an impact it'll be interesting to see how Colin Riley goes with the under 20s in in um, 
in, in, in Argentina. He does have a very good guy ahead of him in Craig, in, in Craig Casey. So will he get game time out there? But he's someone else to look at. And for some reason, Sligo was producing a lot of very good young uh, young. Um, uh, scrum halves but yeah I think the one I'm really pinning my hopes on is you Lane Alright moving on to uh, player recruitment Alan you had that to look at so maybe just give us a quick rundown on where we are and where we might get to OK, looking at, at player recruitment, we've got a couple of signings in the last couple of days, which meant I've had to change my notes a couple of times. Um, new signing today in John Porsche. Um, an exciting winger by the looks of it. Has been playing a lot of sevens for Australia, scoring a lot of tries, but has also been playing um, rugby in Australia for 15-a-side rugby. So he's not just a sevens player. He has been playing the full-on. Apparently he was a kicker in his younger days as well, so might be something there that we, we weren't expecting. Um, you're also looking at, we've, we've signed um, another prop. We've got Stephen Cowens is coming back in. We signed um, Connor Brock from Nottingham. So we, we filled in a lot of positions that we needed. So the back three is looking, looking pretty well stocked. The centres are fully loaded. Scrum half is well stocked. Front rows, we've only got six props, which is slightly worrying. So for the European... Uh, for the European games we need 10 front row players and we've got 10 front row players that's it I'm assuming that uh, um, McCartney is going to play a prop at some stage um, which he has done in, in before uh, back row is, is fully loaded we lost James Connolly because we were so fully loaded and we were hoping that Copeland's going to have his big second season as he has done in every club he's been to his second season has always been his big season the worrying position is out half we don't really have huge cover at out half um, assuming there's no more signings coming We would like to thank the Connacht Rugby Supporters Club, the Connacht Clan, for supporting the podcast. For the most detailed and informative travel news for away matches, check out connachtclan.com. Membership is only €10 Euro and includes a member's gift, exclusive merchandise and much more. Go to connachtclan.com and follow Connacht Clan on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for all your supporting needs. All right, the podcast has stepped outside. Uh, we're getting far too, uh, we were getting too comfortable in there. And also, you may have heard at the end of Alan's piece there, the music was just starting, so we're outside in Murty Rabbits. This beer garden is awesome. It is, and they're playing Blondie. It's even better. <laughs> Which is good. It's make, make Alan feel better about the fact that uh, Leeds are in a bit of a tizzy. Yeah. <laughs> they're falling apart. Anyway, well, they're I've said it all the time. They were always going to fall apart once they... They threw it away. Ten games to go, they had the thing sewn up, and they threw it away. Like you, like the cycling podcast that we both love. No football talk in this no podcast. William, we got you to focus a little bit very quickly, because look, this is our quick end of season. Try and summarise as much as we can. And we wanted you to talk a little bit about the off-field developments. A lot of people know only one thing. They've seen the plans. They've heard our podcast. Go back and listen to it again. It gives you great insight into what the plans are timelines everyone wants to know a timeline and no one really knows any clear cut timelines do they William? well these things just they just they move at their own pace all planning applications and stuff like that but some things are starting to come through now uh, key one being that on uh, Friday morning uh, Tisha Leo Varadkar is going to the sports ground for a briefing mm. uh, that would suggest uh, he's going to be given a full uh, resume of everything that's happening. I'm sure he's been well briefed already. He's, he's obviously down because the election is on and that's part of his job. But this will be an opportunity for Connacht maybe to brief him and his advisors as to where they are. The situation is that the planning applications are fully in. The period to make objections or observations because not every 
thing that comes into onboard Planola is necessarily an objection. Somebody might just want to make a point, and they're all worked through. That period is finished, so the next thing now will be to wait until they release their decision. Uh, there is a lot of sponsorship in place, as a lot of the money is, is, the, is, is ready to go. Uh, it's a 30 million, 30, 35 million budget. There seems to be around about 10 million is, is in position. So the rest of it now has to come from central funding. And it's, it's up to Connacht to, to make that case. And it's up to the government and the Department of Sport or wherever it's coming from to make their final decision. They have to be clear cut in how it will be spent. And I think when you consider that some capital projects have gone badly over budget in the country at the moment, this sort of thing will be watched very closely. I think Connacht have been very clever in the way they've done this. They have apparently worked through step by step by step. They've covered all their bases. It is slow. And people are maybe a little bit frustrated with that, but that's just the way it works. I, I don't know if they are, but I think people are a little bit unclear. You know, there was an article in the National Paper that got the timelines all mixed up, so we'll come back and what you think when the first saw this turn, so to speak, in a second. But Lindley, just from the perspective, you're working and living here in the city office in Covering City, there is a support across the board, I think, from the public, but there seems to be the more important financial backing to this project as well. There's a lot of enthusiasm behind this here in Galway City, which is so, so important obviously in terms of getting the city behind it for the province to get the venue that it deserves. Well, I think the, one of the real reasons is, is because apart from, say, Galway footballers mm-hmm. and the Galway hurlers, which more in the county, that Connacht Rugby actually brings in a lot of money to the city. Yeah. And I think that is a huge, huge plus for the people who live in the city. It's not. It's, look at it. It's not a drastic change. Connor Rugby is still operating out of the same place. They're still going to operate out of the same place. They're just making it a better place yeah. from which to operate. Yeah. That is going to cost money, and and I presume that's where the government comes in. And there is these these sports grants and these capital infrastructural grants that are available. So I I think there is huge goodwill I think within the city, and I think we have I think the city has shown that over the last five years that there is huge goodwill for. for a project like this, so it is going to be a proper stadium that can that can actually facilitate not just rugby, presumably on occasions, but other sports as well. It's a stadium for the city, for the county. It's in a perfect location. It's already in situ. It just needs developing. And you know, I, I think that Connet Rugby are on the right track here um, with its development. I'll go to you, Niall. One of the things I picked up over the years is you know even people who don't follow rugby too much and to see how much the ground and the atmosphere means to them you often hear people who live in you know parts of well park and all across city and they say oh god when there's a game on you can hear the noise coming across it is one of the more unique locations for a venue and the fact that they've found a way to develop on that site seems to mean a lot to people in the city Oh, I think so. It's the home of rugby in, in Connacht, and to be honest, really, probably, uh, probably in Galway, like originally an awful lot of the clubs played out there. Um, but it's, it's been their home for a long time, and I, I, I don't know, I can't... I, nobody's given me a plausible argument for going anywhere else, really, as far as I can see. So I, I think it's the right thing. Like William was saying, for something as important as this, I'm actually not that... I wouldn't be that bothered about it taking a little bit of extra time because you want it to be done right so, um, so you'd be hoping every bit of due diligence is done on it and um, you know it's, it's, it'll be a stadium fit for purpose because it's probably one thing that we're kind of lacking in some ways 
but um, you know it's it's it gives a great atmosphere because people are packed into this into this shed at the side of the pitch and it's just really important but the sports ground itself you know this is where Connacht should be playing in my opinion and I'm glad they're staying there It's a stadium fit for purpose and it's one of the things William just to finish on uh, with yourself is that came up when we were chatting earlier which you kind of forget is a lot of people look at it and think oh is the dog track still there? Yeah it doesn't and then, then they, they're brought along but they forget that the whole area is getting redeveloped this isn't just a stand this is an entire venue you fit for purpose. Yeah, it'll look nothing like it does now when it's when it's rebuilt. The whole the whole the whole feel will be totally different. And how you actually uh, enter the enter the grounds, what you'll find when you're there. You'll be playing on a, an artificial pitch, 4G pitch, which will probably be the first thing to be put in. And I think that'll probably start this time next year. Here we go, timeline. So the first change we'll see is sometime during the summer of next season, you think? Yeah, pitch. that'll be the pitch. And then the next thing that'll happen will be the clan side of the ground, followed by the, the main stand side of the ground. They're hoping to play all their rugby there while that's occurring. And I'm sure their timelines, they'll have to build in. The biggest issue, I suppose, is weather. Uh, you know, you get a wet winter, you could lose a lot of time. You get a dry winter, like we sort of had last this year or last year, and you might you might speed it up. But and they'll there'll be things they'll have to eventualities they won't have expected. But essentially, once once the the green light goes, they'll be starting. Uh, I was in Craig's at the weekend. I've had a look at their pitch. I spoke to them down there. Putting in the pitch is actually quite a difficult and quite. Uh, it's a very complex thing to do. It's not just a matter of laying down a bit of carpet and a bit of rubber protection. There's all sorts of stuff going on underneath it. Drainage, stratas of different rocks, sand. It's a particular type of sand. It's really quite interesting. We'll, we'll play out a bit of some of those interviews in another podcast a little bit in a few weeks' time. When Good we're, stuff, yeah. Because it, it's... But it's a fun. I still have issues with artificial surfaces, but so do kind of. <laughs> well, one victory ever on an artificial. Surface. Well, hopefully that'll change. That'll be that'll be changing. But I think um, w- once it starts, the change will be gradual. But yeah, look, I think everybody's looking forward to it. It's very important for the organisation. It's very important as well that the team keep concentrating on what they have to do, which is winning, playing rugby. Okay, so if you're still new, to, if you're new to the podcast, or if you haven't caught it uh, in the last season or two. Uh, I would really recommend that you go back and listen to our podcast on the stadium last summer because nothing's really changed in terms of what we talked about there except for a little bit more knowledge of the timeline and the funding is... Last October. Last October, there you go. And our, the funding has uh, has probably, you know, gone along the plans or has, has gone to plan, I should say. So we might post that out in the old Twitter and remind people of it. All right, final segment, and it's a quick one, but everyone chime in. Dave, I left you with, who's going to the World Cup? And this turned out to be easier than we thought for you because you, you reckon three players will go to the World Cup from Connacht. Yeah, you, we, this is all premised on the fact that nobody, all the injuries we have on the squad are cleared up and that Joe Schmidt doesn't completely lose his mind to pick somebody we've never heard of. I would expect there to be three. Uh, Bundyaki will definitely go. Kieran Marmion will definitely go. And a lock will definitely go. Now it is 50-50. Half of us believe it will be Quinn Roo. Half of us believe it will be Ulton Land. I think it's just me and you on Quinn Roo. Everyone else is Ulton Land. Is that right? Um, oh, no, half, half. No, and the reason, again, is because 
Joe Schmidt is a, is a conservative coach. That's why I think Quinn Rue will go. Me too. Yeah. Uh, not Ulton Deland. That doesn't mean that Ulton Deland shouldn't go. It doesn't mean Ulton Deland won't be on the standby list. Jack Carty will definitely be on the standby list. What that means in terms of conduct at the start of the season, is Jack Carty going to be in Galway or is he going to be on a small island off South Korea just happening to be travelling in case he gets a call from, from Joe Schmidt in Japan? I have no idea. He's going to be in Saipan. First first of all, Saipan is nowhere near South Korea, so you're geography. So that's why you're not a geography teacher. Uh, Look, all I know is they were going in that direction, and they stopped off there. So I figured it must be close. No wonder Roy Keane was so pissed off. Saipan is in the Marshall Islands. Let's not go there. Come on, you know nothing about geography. I don't say I know nothing about geography. It was a joke. I couldn't pass up on it for geography reasons. Carry on. Anyway, Jack will probably be on the standby. Maybe in Saipan. I think because I as I don't. He does realize there's no good training area. Uh, look, let's not go there. Let's not go there. As long as nobody, as long as nobody tells Joe Schmidt to stick anything up his posterior, we're fine. Um, I, the reason I think Jack will be on the standby list is I don't think Joe Schmidt will bring three three out halves. In terms of what happens in the build-up to that, I think Joe Schmidt will look at a lot of players in case yes. of injuries. Yeah. And in that case, you will be looking at Tom Farrell will definitely be in squads for games. Gavin Thornbury should be in squads for games. Finley Beelham should be in squads for games. Outside chance you might see Caelan Blade. Outside chance you might see one of the back three, possibly Matt Heaney's probably in the best position right now. Um, very outside chance you might see Dennis Buckley. If you're talking about bolters, don't expect any across Ireland, never mind from Connacht. But if I was to say anybody in Ireland, I think there's a tiny 2% chance a bolter might be Robert Balakir, and he's the only one I can see. In terms of Connacht, the most likely player not immediately in the squad is Tom, is, if you take leave out Jack, who's definitely there. I think it's Tom Farrell, but I'd be very surprised if more than three or four comp players play in the World Cup. All right. I think that's pretty much it. We've got to cover up. Has anyone, just before we go, any other little things to add? We've covered all the main details. We're going to have a couple of podcasts out in the next few weeks. We'll probably have to have some more chats as the breaking news happens. But we'll call it any other business as ground. But let's keep it to Connacht and the season just gone. Either way. Starting with Alan. William, your thoughts on Sevens Rugby? <laughs> <laughs> No comment. <laughs> Our WhatsApp group, he has made plenty of comments. Can we make one thing? We have <laughs> Sevens Rugby. No, seven. Well, weirdly, yes, but not really, in the sense that this person has played Sevens Rugby. We have kind of ignored the women today, which is really not us. But Bavian Parsons, what Bavian Parsons has achieved for a 16, 17 year old since last September, she led her province to an under 18 win. Under 18 win. We, we also should highlight the fact we won both under 18s, boys and girls. But Bavian Parsons is an Irish international at 17. Nobody else in the country can say that. She's probably one of the leading sports athletes and, from and the I, West of Ireland. That's the reason, reason I have to say is I have to talk up her parents. Her mom is, her mom is from Spittle, not really known from, for bringing up rugby country. Her dad is from the same townland as me. We're really not known for producing rugby players. I think all the credit must go oh, so to... So we can call her a male woman, yeah? She absolutely is a male woman, yeah. irrespective of the fact she's from Ballinasloe <laughs> and her mother is no, from Spittle. But, li- but yes, she's definitely a male yeah, woman. Don't, don't, don't. But what I mean is this, we have not given enough credit to what the guys in Ballinasloe are doing and what all the junior coaches are doing. The lads, the lads, who, are going to, the lads who are going to Argentina are not from powerhouse clubs. They're from, they're from those clubs that really they're putting a lot of work in. Sligo, 
Corinthians and uh, and Ballinasloe. Three lads going yeah. to there. And we also to point out the Volunteer of the Year is a man. National Volunteer of the Year is a man from Cor- Corinthians. It's not Packy, but it's, it's someone who works with Packy. And if he can do that, the man is an absolute saint. How would you possibly follow a Dave any other business? You can't. You, can't. <laughs> you made a, you made a monumental mistake there, Rob. You need to have Dave at the end. Yeah, I know. And, I, he's just and almost everybody else has been part of it. Yeah. Or just have Dave on his own. Yeah, yeah. Don't the spin off podcast. It'll be Dave's business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave's other business at yeah. that. Yes. And yeah. Dad, great um, season. Yeah, a good season. Uh, what was it? I'm looking forward to. Uh, I want each of you to do a highlight from the season. Oh, highlight for the like season. a try or a moment or whatever. Think, people. We can press pause. People, Jack Carty, Jack Carty's try against Leinster. He's one against Cardiff. Two brilliant, brilliant oh, pieces oh, of individual. Was it Cardiff? Pick one. All right. I'm taking two. I did because they were both brilliant. I don't care. I'm taking two. <laughs> For me, I'm going to just say right at the end, Bundyaki's try in the celebration. Man, I enjoyed that. Oh, I bet you did. Um, no, it was great. I'm trying to think. What were the any other highlights for me? Sorry, Rob. Um, the academy boys that come in. I think it's brilliant. It kind of gets said the likes of Paul Boyle when you know when a player comes in like that and becomes the mainstay of the team. Just shows you can come. You can come here, really develop as a player, and develop into a really top-class senior pro. And I think that has to be lauded. He's willing to come up here and do, and do it. More, more highlights being stuck on the motorway in Perpignan for two hours by the Gilets Jaunes. Any, any highlights, Lindley? It's not so much a highlight as possibly um, an extraordinary, I think, result in Zebra this year. I just find that that result in that match in Zebra was one that will always stick in my mind. The 6-5. <laughs> the 6-5. Taking it out. And it's probably what got us to Europe. The irony of me asking Andy Friend afterwards, well, that was a poor performance. <laughs> Turns out it's the best performance of the season. Well, that's part of the reason. I'm not, I, I'm not being flippant. It probably was. In it stands out in my yeah. mind because any other time that... I mean, let's face it. How many times have we lost in Zebra before, before that? Yeah. And everyone thought this is the most dire match. This is desperate. How can Connor play so badly? But, I mean, at the end of the day, they actually won it. And, you know, you could see, listening to Andy Friend, the, the complete and utter pride in the way that his players had actually stuck in that game and won it in the circumstances. Um, I really don't have one for you. No highlights. Uh, who scored that good try to win the match in Bordeaux? Oh, that was a great try. Jack came on the pitch and decided he was going to win the game. And he did. We should highlight that we're recording this before the awards are announced. So he deserves an award. Let's hope he won one of the two he's up for. Yeah, he certainly does. I mean, he's... Uh, He's just matured into the player that I think he's now realised that he's as good a player as other people thought he could be. Uh, And I'm talking about that from his coaching level, that I think there was a lot of belief and he's now grabbed it and run and he sees the opportunity and that's all you can ask a player to do. Let's finish the podcast on Jack Hardy then. That's it from us for now, but we'll have lots more. We just wanted to do a get-together and just have a bit of a chat and you can see there was a lot to cover. I have it. My highlight of the season was the absolute... Ledge bag. We'll put a picture up on Twitter of Dave's uh, challenging times outfit. <laughs> oh, what year and was it? Uh, what band were you auditioning for? There it was a Pet Shop Boys look, I think. <laughs> the non-smile. 
<laughs> for squares. No, I don't think we're giving you a right to reply. Let's leave it at that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let the picture speak for itself. We'll tweet it out again. Yeah. <laughs> How are Leeds doing? Such a good picture. Three, three. All right, folks, we'll talk to you in a week or two. Lots more audio to come during the summer. Big thanks to Danny there, who's been like on the background firing in stuff for us all week and all season. Thanks, Danny. And that's it from us. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Oh, one rule about podcasts. When you start recording a podcast, the noise comes to you. So I'm sorry if you've heard so much chatter, but it's just a rule of podcasts. People gravitate towards it. I want to talk around it. It's the audience. No, no, they all want to be here. Loose. Cut it loose. Break out or nothing changes. Sad and confused. Don't wait until